This is AutoLine Extra, available exclusively on the internet. Here again is John McElroy. Welcome to this internet version only of AutoLine with Mike Jackson from AutoNation, Bill Vlasic from the New York Times, Steve, Steve Finley from Ward's uh, Auto Dealer. Let's get back into your business. You know, we talked earlier on the broadcast version of private equity coming into the business. How do you grow from here? Do you go out and buy more dealers? Do you do more value added in your transactions? Or how does AutoNation grow from here? Well, we're not obsessed with growth. You know, we are the largest and we don't necessarily need uh, to be uh, bigger. And in times like this, I think you really have to focus on managing through the crisis and not get distracted uh, by doing a lot of acquisitions. And if I look at the acquisition environment, uh, there needs to be a consolidation on the Detroit 3. And we have enough Detroit 3, so I'm not necessarily interested in buying more unless I'm putting more franchises under one roof. And on, imp on uh, import and premium luxury, the, the, the prices are too high. All the sellers uh, say, listen, there is no such thing as an automotive cycle. My business is always going to go up, and they've, and they've uh, priced it accordingly. And you know, that was the conventional wisdom in 04, 05. The cycle's over, uh, we have a new paradigm. Well, guess what? The cycle's still here. And when you make an acquisition, uh, you have to factor that in. And if you look at the marketplace, there's very few acquisitions getting done. And I sort of say it's similar to what happened in the housing market, if you go back. When housing got weak, first thing that happened is volume fell, but prices did not. Eventually, prices came down. And we have sort of a standoff right now between sellers and buyers on automotive acquisition. And at a certain point, sell, uh, sellers are backing up, deals are backing up. They're either going to have to change their, uh, how they look at pricing or the deals aren't going to get done. But I don't think the sellers are going to all of a sudden step up and even private equity and pay crazy, crazy prices. I don't see that happening. Well, it's interesting because AutoNation in the early days, this is pre-Mike Jackson days, there was would a land buy everything. It was, I, it was you know, willy-nilly buying. And, and you brought a lot of order to that. Now, what, what, what nameplate do you have, what brand do you have uh, that you say, boy, I'm, I'm glad we got that? Would it be Mercedes-Benz, uh, BMW, well, Toyota, uh, General Motors? The core foundation and what I started doing the day, the day I arrived at AutoNation was uh, premium luxury. And there it's uh, Mercedes-Benz, BMW, Lexus, uh, Porsche to some extent, but the, but the triple crown are BMW, Lexus, and Mercedes-Benz. And the reason is uh, the fixed operations are phenomenal. We run 120, 130% fixed coverage in our premium luxury stores because the product is complicated. Not too many people know how to fix it. You know, you pull the wrong wire on a BMW and you're gonna be calling Munich to figure out how to get the car started. <laughs> if you can even find the wire. If you can even find the wire. <laughs> and then you're gonna be reprogramming for a week if you do it wrong. So it's extremely complex. Uh, and you have an owner base that wants it right. And so that's, a, that's a, a wonderful business model and we have all the technical expertise to care for those vehicles. And then of course, um, the Japanese, I like their network strategy, which is namely a high throughput strategy, fewer stores in the right location, get economies of scale in the stores by running a lot of volume through the stores. Um, we like that strategy. The, the domestics is, is a bit tougher. We have to pick and choose our spots because they have a low throughput, high cost strategy. How about which Chevrolet? Is, is which it still is, a good brand? Which is hard to make money. Well, Chevrolet should be the crown jewel of 
uh, General Motors. It's one of the great brands in America. Um, my issue is that General Motors, in trying to support eight brands at the same time, is starving Chevrolet of being uh, the lead, lead horse. I mean, why, why is Chevrolet just now getting a crossover uh, SUV? What is it, three years later? Why, why did uh, uh, Buick and Saturn get it first? Why does Chevrolet not have a small Roadster? Uh, Saturn got it first and Pontiac got it. That's crazy. Chevrolet should get first call on everything, should be the oldest child, if you will, and get the favoritism, <laughs> and everybody else should follow. So, uh, yeah, we, we are a big believer in Chevrolet. 90, 95% of our uh, General Motor business is Chevrolet. And I think General Motors should do more to make uh, Chevrolet a winner, because they could. And if they did, it would pull the whole General Motors image train uh, along with it. So I've advocated that strongly to General Motors, but so far <laughs> I've not been able to convince them to go down that road. As long as we're talking about the domestic stand, how do you view Ford? And can they get Mercury back on its feet and make Lincoln a true luxury brand? Well, two things. First, I have, I think Alan Mulally is, is a tremendous breath of fresh air for the Detroit 3 industry. And I think he has the right skill set for uh, Ford Motor Company, basically an industrial engineer that understands turnaround. They have a brilliant CFO in Don LeClaire who should uh, win a trophy for going to the credit markets and early, early and getting a bunch and, and of money. Getting a bunch of money to get through any crisis that, uh, that came at them. So uh, cash burn relative to credit availability, Ford's in, uh, in the best shape. I also admire that Ford moved rapidly to cut forward-looking production and to immediately publicly say, we're bringing the great products we have in Europe into the uh, U.S. as quickly as possible. This is, a, this is a structural change. Now, as far as Mercury, I would be irreverent. I could care less. <laughs> Ford is, is, a, is a brand like Chevrolet. Why you would divert a single dollar from the Ford brand into Mercury is beyond me. But again, that's not my choice. And Lincoln is a little bit in the, in the twilight zone. First, they, they've made horrendous mistakes for a long time. Second, going back to what I described, you have three or four true luxury premium brands. And then you have near luxury. And Lincoln falls into that near luxury uh, area. And you're squeezed because the premium luxuries are chock full of performance and innovation. But mainstream volume, if you look at cars like the Camry or the Mal Chevy Malibu, that's a phenomenal product with a lot of content and a lot of quality at a good price. And if you're near luxury, what are you? That's a tough place to be. You're sort of stuck between two chairs. So for Ford Motor Company, and I've, I've told this to Alan, so it's nothing new. I mean, Ford's, Ford's the deal. Ford as a brand is a great brand. You can sell everything from a Focus to an F-150, to a, to a GT40, under the Ford brand. What more do you need? What was his reaction to that? Mm -hmm. He nodded, he nodded. <laughs> he knew better than to argue, but. <laughs> well, you know, the argument's always been that Lincoln dealers need the volume of Mercury to survive. So if you get rid of Mercury, you cripple your Lincoln dealers. Mm. So. He smiled and nodded. <laughs> yeah, right. I would be, I would be consolidating them into, into uh, Ford stores. Listen, you need 
you need retail muscle. The Japanese and the Europeans have a tremendous strategic advantage at retail with better locations, better facility, and most importantly, better talent. All the capital and talent is migrating to the Japanese and to the Europeans. You have to reverse that, and the only way you can reverse it is to make the domestic model economically attractive to investors and to talent. And that means you need more throughput. Uh, you, need, you need to consolidate, and the, one, and the survivors need more throughput. And if that means you need to put more brands under one, more roo under one roof to get the throughput, then that's what you need to do. Does that mean higher transactional prices, though, to the consumer? Well, uh, no, not necessarily. With the throughput model, uh, this is going to shock you, Steve. You're going to maybe fall off your chair. Our front-end grosses on the Japanese is lower than on the domestics. Really? Because, and here's where the Japanese are really smart, my throughput is so high, I can cover my fixed cost and get into my marginal profit very quickly. Whereas with the domestic stores, the throughput is so small relative to, to my fixed cost, I have to charge more just to cover my fixed cost. It's a very inefficient model. So it's really lose-lose. It's a lose for the consumer. It's a lose for the retailer. It's a lose for the manufacturer. And they have to reverse that. And that's why I advocate a consolidation and be willing to put more brands under one roof to get the throughput. Now, we've always heard franchise laws prevent the automakers from really going and cleaning house in, in terms of their retail. It, isn't that an issue that they've got to deal with? I think that's, that's an issue. I think there was uh, uh, ways uh, to deal with it. I did it at Mercedes-Benz when I did the turnaround of Mercedes-Benz in the 1990s. Uh, I had an overcapacity situation at retail. And with the franchise laws, we eliminated 30% of our points without a single lawsuit. Yeah, it took some money, it took some negotiation. But the point is we had, a, we had a goal to do it and we had a strategy to do it and every time there was an opportunity, we took it. My experience with the domestics over the last five years is there's been countless opportunities to consolidate, which they have not even facilitated. I'll give you an example. I'll have a, a great retail site um, that is a domestic brand and I've got two bloodsuckers, if you will, small points that shouldn't be there, that's bleeding the store dry, and I've got a Japanese manufacturer knocking on the door for the site. And the two little bloodsuckers finally fell away. What did the domestic manufacturer do? They put in dealer development stores, turned them into factory <laughs> stores. This is within the last three years. So that's not a strategy. So what do I do? I'm selling the site uh, and going to turn it into a, uh, I can't do it myself, but I'm going to sell it to somebody else for X million dollars, and it's going to be a Japanese import store, and it's a great retail site. So that lack of goal and that lack of strategy has made the situation worse than it needs to be. But anyway, all that doesn't matter because consolidation's here. I mean, the economic forces are going to take over from this point. Mike, you, spent some, you said some things about Ford that were interesting, yet this, is, this year the uh, big three's market share has fallen to record lows and continues to fall even in this down market. Are these small cars, and they're going to bring out a lot of them in three years, I want to know how you think the consumer is going to react, and can they stop the market share slide? I think that's the question that gets asked every couple years with these companies with this new um, uh, you know, offensive of product particularly the smaller cars. And in some cases, we're expecting a lot more smaller crossovers, too, to really try and 
in, in Chrysler's case, that looks to be where they're going. Um, but, or is this just a losing battle and just a continued str shrinkage of um, you know, Detroit market share? Well, it's, uh, Bill, it, it is a, a tremendous challenge. And let's face it, before we had uh, the seismic shift in May, uh, the Detroit Three already had their challenges. And now this is on top of everything else. And uh, uh, it's huge. I think they have to figure out um, what, per what percent of the marketplace uh, do, will they have a share with differentiated products that they're profitable on. And that's the piece of the pie they have to de uh, defend. And um, indeed, most likely their, their share is probably even smaller than it is today. Um, but they gotta find a way to make money in the good old US of A. I mean, the fact that General Motors and Ford make so much money outside the US is no question a tremendous help to them at the moment and it's buying them time. And the fact that they can bring these products in. But at a certain point, uh, they've, they've got to uh, defend a certain position. And that's why I argue uh, if, if that's really what you're up against, you better pick the brand that's gonna get that done for you. And in my view, for General Motors, that's Chevrolet. Let's put a stake in the ground with Chevrolet and, and make sure Chevrolet gets first call on all product resources and all marketing resources. Why should Tiger Woods be off representing Buick? I mean, I just don't get it. Uh, and uh, for Ford Motor Company, the brand is Ford. And to me, everything else is, is on the volume side is a diversion. Everything should go to Ford Motor Company and, and uh, uh, a Ford brand and, and uh, both from a product and a marketing point of view and defend that position because of the magnitude of the challenge that you just called out. It's gonna be a tough fight, but I, I personally believe they can do it. We're real good with that. I think we're gonna to have to wrap up here, but Mike, thanks so much for sticking around. It's been great having you, Steve and, and Bill, great having you guys too. Yeah.